This is PomoCast for Friday, September 30th, 2011. Welcome to PomoCast. I'm Nathan Lawrence, and I'm here with your guest host today, Cole Bradley. How are you, Cole? I'm good, Nathan. How are you? Uh, I've been better. I've been worse. But, you know, it, it's new to me, you know. A Say little nervous. Uh, yeah, definitely. Okay. So um, um, let's just roll straight into the agenda here. Um, Absolutely. The, the first thing that we need to address is what the heck you're listening to. If, if you found this on iTunes, which is impossible because it's not there. Sorry, iTunes users, we'll figure that out. Anyway, if you found us somewhere, if you if if some somehow way wayward Google search got us got you here or something, um, it, it seems like it, now's a good time to explain what exactly we're trying to do here. Um, my goal is to create something that discusses the concepts of the philosophical the philosophical sort of field of study and thought of postmodernism and the literary um, genres that go along with that in a not-so-snotty light. I um, There's lots of literature about this in journals and stuff, but the thing is, this is a really interesting subject, and it's really interesting to a layperson. It's just that people don't realize that they're talking about it. Um, you'll, you'll see when we get into some of the stories, this is just something that permeates our culture and people don't even realize it. So, um, yeah, that's where, um, that's where we're trying to head here, um, and let's just head into the headlines. Fabulous. All right, first off here, we have, um, an interesting editorial that came out this, earlier this week, um, by a man named Tim O'Reilly. Now, Tim O'Reilly is a famous computer publisher who's um, written many, many books about different programming languages and programming styles and fields of thought. Um, but in this case, he, he takes a more general standpoint. This, this piece is called Birth of the Global Mind, and in it he discusses what it means to move as humanity into the computer age in a real way, what it means to have iPads and phones with us constantly and computers constantly on us to the point where our brains aren't being supplanted by the computers. We're not we're not being evolved into a computer like the Borg or something. We are being supplemented by computers. What computers are good at that we aren't is information gathering. So we use the computer for the help and the rest we we can take care of. Um th- this sort of symbiotic relationship is sort of at the core of a lot of um utopian science fiction. Um I just wanted to touch on this because very much this idea of um, technology fusing with um, human beings and the benefits being shared or the th- the downfalls being shared is um is is fundamental to the nature of you know of the of the thoughts of postmodernism and ideas. It's just this cyber culture, as we'll call it for now, um, is so embedded into us. There's nowhere you can go that's not you know in the midst of the computer age. Um. Well, what, what do you think, Cole? Is, is this where you think we're headed? I don't... Mm, that is a good question. I feel like... I feel like the points he makes are valid. I don't know if symbiosis is the right word. Like, I... That's, that's where I feel this essay kind of goes in a direction that I think is wrong. Because I feel like symbiosis implies a little too much like that Borg-like cyborgness. You know what I'm saying? Interesting, yeah. But I, I, I do see what he's saying, I, and I, th- I think he's right. I think we are, like, blending with technology in a way that we haven't been before, especially in the past five years with the rise of the smartphone. 
Yeah, and in a lot of ways, this is almost entirely addressing this, the idea of a smartphone. He, he never, as far as I, I can see, just rescanning this, um, we, we only have one or two mentions of smartphones themselves. But Which is weird. It, it is weird, because th- then we look and he spends a lot of time talking about Google Street View and, um, good grief, Stanley, the, the tool company using computer-controlled things for manufacturing, and all these things that we've had for a long time. But what what's fundamentally different now is that the computer is one of our senses almost. You know, it's it's not as if, you know, if we don't have it, it's an issue. But today I accidentally left my um my smartphone in um okay. in my dorm room all day. <laughs> and How long um, did you survive? I you know, it's an interesting thing. I've had it for all of what, um, let me think four or five months. But I felt so naked without it. Well, um, I kind of know what you're saying because for the, about the past week and a half, a half, I've been phoneless. Um, I still have a smartphone. My, I have an iPod that acts as a smartphone in every way but taking calls. But the phone that I use has been out of commission for about the past week and a half. And I got a new one, but I haven't really been using it. So I've been kind of disconnected from a lot of stuff. And a lot of communication lately because I don't really surf the internet a whole lot on my on my on my iPod. So I'm kind of reading this. I kind of see what he's saying and just being phoneless for the past week. I've kind of been thinking about how tuned in I am so much to Twitter and to whatever's happening around the world, as opposed to what's, which is something that I I kind of took for granted. Yeah. Um. He also um, – so, so the part that you were referring to where he calls it a symbiosis, he says, in the best case, we see a creative symbiosis of man and machine. However, it's easy to get the balance wrong. Um, what, what do you think getting the balance wrong is? Is, is? is that what we're headed towards now where you feel weak without it? Or is it just the idea of losing control to this device, to, to, to getting a dystopian Terminator or, you know? I mean – I, I don't know if there really is a downside to it. I mean, it's easy to be, like, standard Luddite carry, carrying calls of, like, oh, people are getting disconnected from the world around them, or, oh, Skynet's going to destroy everything. But come on, I mean, that's that's meaningless. That's just, like, fear-mongering at its worst, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I, think, I, I, don't think, I don't think there's anything wrong with this, you know? We're, we're smarter. They, 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 they call us the idiot generation, but it's kind of not true. We have this vast array of knowledge just at our fingertips at any given moment, and how can that be a bad thing? Well, it's not as long as it's still there, you know? This is true. If, if you lose your internet, then suddenly, you know, that that is a problem. But, you know, just it, it's like what people talked about when, when calculators came out. They, they said people won't be able to do simple math anymore. Well... Exactly. I, I don't know about you, but I can I can I can do my times tables just fine. It, it took me a long time, yeah. but I, I can I can I can tell you what twelve times eleven is. Um, oh, um, yeah, yeah, I can't do that, but I'm dumb. <laughs> um, um, but but it it was not because. By the way, it's 121. Um, but you know, it, just hush. because we have calculators doesn't mean that we are you know, relegated to not being able to do math ourselves. It just means that we have options, we have resources to delegate the tasks that we don't need to constantly do ourselves because they're menial to something better. So in, instead of us having to go and flip through an encyclopedia, we can get, you know, the computer to do the flipping for us, and then we can go straight to the article we want. And to assume that the uh, uh, prolifer- proliferance of technology in our lives is going to make us unable to rely on our own abilities, like unable to do simple math. That's just an incredibly negative way to view humanity. Mm-hmm. And that's like, that's not a view of humanity that I think is fair or kind. It's paranoid and it's degrading. Well, I, I don't know about degrading, but yes, it, it is a little paranoid. It, it's the, 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 the thing is, you know, people fear what's new and what's difficult to understand, and that's that's sort of where we are right now. It's going to be 
something new to figure out and to understand. And, you know, un until we have a truly immersed, a truly almost cyborg-like connection to our technology, even more than we already do, I don't know that it's going to be clear what it's going to look like. Um, I, I, as he said, the global brain is still in its infancy. We can raise it to help us make a better world, or we can raise it just to be selfish, unjust, and short-term in its outlook. Um, I think the concern is the secondary part, but... Or, not the secondary part, the latter part, because it's not secondary, obviously, it's a concern. But, it, it just depends on how we do it, and I, I'm optimistic, I think that, fundamentally, even though these companies seem like they don't always have our best interests at heart, I, I think that, at least in this case, I think... We wouldn't stay with the company if they were truly wronging us. I don't think, you know, as much as much um, crap as Facebook, for example, gets, I don't think they're truly wronging us on purpose. I think they're not doing a good job of writing us, but I think if they, they if in their hearts they truly wanted to do horrible things to us, I think we'd figure it out pretty quickly because, I mean, we're, we're in an age of openness, and I think that capitalism will take care of the injustices and... We'll be able to find our way through this. Um, I don't. I don't know how much regulation is going to be necessary, but that that's something we're going to have to figure out as time goes by. Now it's too early to tell. Absolutely. Okay, m moving on from the the birth of this global mind to something a lot more local. Um, Io9 had a story this week about what we actually see when we're looking at a movie. Essentially. Um, th these researchers at UC Berkeley have found a way using fMRIs, functional magnetic re resonance imaging, to um, to see what we see in our minds and, and actually understand what we perceive, what we focus on as we look around to objects. Um, now, now, the consequence to this directly is um, is that then, obviously, we, we can then take something that someone's seeing at that moment and sort of transcribe it or record it, it's not very good quality at all. I, I mean, I'm looking here at the, the presented clip and the clip reconstructed from brain activity compared side by side, and um, it's a parrot, and it looks like a creepy ghost spirit thing. when It's it terrifying. <laughs> it, it is, it is very much like something out of, um, you know, a very weird found footage yeah, horror. No, it's, it's, it's not... Also... Um, it's amazing. It's one of the coolest things I've seen in a long time, without question. It's not a parrot, but the thing is, you can see how you might get that out of the parrot. Yeah. Um, it's got the colors. Um, blue doesn't come through very well for some reason. I don't know why it is, but there's a lot of blue in the parrot picture, and everything blue has been replaced with this weird mustard green. But, um... There, there are bits and pieces here that actually look like the parrot. Um, so, I don't know. I think what, what, what's interesting is then the, is the implications of what this could mean to filmmaking. Um, I mean, it, so, so, so obviously, you know, one, one of the fundamental tenets of what we believe in and of postmodernism itself is, you know, everything's about perception. Yeah. Reality is perception. So. When we're seeing a movie, we may all see different things about the movie. Um, and that's where this technology comes in, is then you can use this to almost do a research-driven film. You, you could say, okay, here, here's a clip from our movie, and see what will the eyes focus on, and, and try variations and say, so, so if, we, if we move this, you know, this jar of honey that winds up becoming important later on from the left to the right, does that get a higher piece of people's consciousness do they recognize it more on the left or the right all these little tiny details and wind up with something that is not only on a um you know not not only on a level a, a cerebral and a creative level the best possible movie but but statistically the best possible movie um and i, I don't know whether to be scared of that or I'm... to be really excited for that to be honest the, the more i'm saying about how much I'm excited about it, the more it scares the heck out of me. Because the last thing we need is more, you know, more boardroom-made movies. I mean, I think it'd be an interesting thing to watch. But, I mean, 
then you get to the point where it's impossible to make the quantifiably best movie because movies like any works of art are so based on emotion and emotion is by definition not quantifiable yeah this this brain scan scan doesn't give you how the person's feeling it just gives you the image they see yeah um, but I think. Go ahead. Never mind. You take it. Um. You know. It. it it's just. It. It does make you wonder, though. Is. Is this a tool that's actually going to be used? I. Um. Yeah. What are the. What are the. Um. Applications for this? Or are they just doing it because science is cool? Um. The, the way I'm reading this is. Um. It appears they're doing it because science is cool. But of course. Um. I, I'm gonna. L- let me take a look. Um. I may actually get back to people next week. Um, the the I'm looking at the abstract here of their actual paper. Um, and I would also just oh like my to God, say, dense. Um, <laughs> there's there's nothing wrong with scientists researching stuff. Um, just because science is cool. Yeah. Just because science is cool, I think that's a perfectly valid uh, desi- uh, motive for scientific research, and I. Do, did not mean to be implying that that was lesser than researching something that has a predetermined benefit. Because science is cool. <laughs> let's let's be honest here, guys. Well, yes, that that's it. It is interesting. Um, I I'm just trying to find here. Um, they're trying to make me register for the service when I when I look at the table data tables and stuff. Um, but in in their abstract, they're saying nothing about why. Why are we doing this? I they must be doing it just because they want to see if they can. And l- like you said, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just um, okay. It, it'd be well, nice it to. It says in um. It says in the IO9 article that they're trying to, like, their future goal is to be able to like recreate dreams. Interesting. I, I I'm not sure if that this is something that's that's possible. I I'm not I'm not exactly a psychologist here, but. I didn't think that we literally perceive dreams as actual vision, you know? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm not a neurologist, but it says in um, the Ironine article that it may eventually be possible to construct the images we see in dreams and memories. And I, I think that's cool. Being able to, like, actually watch a video of your dreams, that'd be insane. Well, 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 I don't know if I'd like that. Yeah, what then? This this gives you the point. Well, then why doesn't a studio just say, you know, it's much cheaper to instead of hiring someone to make a movie about, you know, you know, instead of hiring David Lynch, just let someone who has really interesting dreams fall asleep with a headset on their head, and then when you wake up, you've made a whole movie. Oh, <laughs> uh, but then there's the question. I mean, are your dreams interesting to someone else? I, I don't know. They they sound awfully like, interesting well, to me. Like sometimes. there's that there's that old saying about how like the least interesting subject to talk about with someone is your dreams. I've never actually heard that. You never heard that? Well, because your dreams are so personal. It, like, it makes I, sense. This is like hypothetically, if they're someday able to unlock other people's dreams, like I want to watch my dreams. I really want to watch other people's dreams. And I really want to, like, hear how people react to watching other people's dreams. And that that's an interesting one, because it is such a violation, because, you know, as we're going to discuss later on, your dreams are sort of like your own little, your your own reality that you retreat to. It's the reality inside your head that only you have access to, and opening up to that is sort of the deepest openness you can get. I mean, this is, this is what, you know, Inception, for example, is all about, is opening up the basic the most basic human level of you, the the subconscious, the part that you can't get rid of no matter how hard you try. Yeah. Um th- this this could go interesting places. I I I I'm curious to see what happens. Is from there here. gonna be a link to this video on wherever the show ends up getting posted? Yeah, um I'm gonna put it in the show notes on my blog, um and then Fabulous. if we ever put stuff up I'll make sure it's in the um it's in iTunes or whatever too. In the in the show description. Yeah. All right, sweet. Shop talk. Okay, so 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 next, let's um, let's talk about an actual movie that's actually being made. Um, MovieWeb reported, um, reported on um, let, let me think. I, I'm I'm trying to remember what day of the week this was. Uh, uh the twenty third. So, uh, last Wednesday. 
Oh, movie movie well reported last Wednesday. Last Friday. On... Oh, okay. I am um, a good mathematician. Movie movie web reported last Friday that um that all you need is kill. Um, a manga adaptation is back on. Now this this it is, is in a not movie... actually a manga, by the way. That was a misidentification on MovieWeb's part. It's a novel. Okay. Well then, it's a novel. It's a novel adaptation. Um, the 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 description they give here of this of the story is that it puts a Groundhog Day plot device into a futuristic alien invasion storyline. Um. Okay. I. What really interests me is this is great news because it means that we're getting back to um, timeline movies. And that, that's an interesting area that studios seem to be moving away from. For, for a while after Inception, a bunch of these films were being greenlit. And um, the most high-profile one was All You Need Is Kill. And then something happened. Um, I, I think it must have been 3D. I can't remember what it was, though. And Source all these code movies, didn't do too well at the no, box office. Um, you're right. Theater. It was Source Code. Um, Which was sad because, guys, see Source Code. It's amazing. Interesting. Um, you liked it. I, I, I actually, it. I, I came in with admittedly high expectations because I loved Moon, which was the I other Duncan Jones film. I liked it more than I liked Moon, but we'll save that for another show. Back well, to all you need to skill. Th- this is sort of relevant, but it is interesting. I, I just felt like there were so many holes that just didn't make sense to me. But um, m- maybe it was too late at night when I watched it. I don't know what it was, but I, I wasn't a big fan. Um. Anyway, so, so so you're right. Source code did not perform well, and all these movies got killed. But um, but now we're watching 3D go into huge decline, and and suddenly Warner Brothers is going back to these lists, and th- there was the there was these rumors of them greenlighting all of them, um, including one called Luna. Um, Luna was looking really weird. Um, it, it was going to be about like this 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 moon this space pirates moon thing. In a very not Firefly sense, in a very um more like Treasure Island sense, and I I wasn't I wasn't too big on the idea, but um but th- this this director he he's moved over from Luna to All You Need Is Kill, which got greenlit again after all this um and it looks really interesting. I I'm it intrigued. It looks really um, interesting. The, the big news, of course, the, the reason that this the reason that this is getting all this mainstream attention suddenly is because Brad Pitt and Doug Liman got offered the lead role. Well, well, Doug Liman is he really a big director? I've never heard of He's him. He's a big director. He, I mean, he did he did he did um, the original Bourne movie, the first one. He did um, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, that Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie movie. Where oh, they oh, met. Right. He, he did the Bourne Identity, the Bourne movie that didn't have the shaky camera. Yeah, the good um, one. <laughs> He did Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which I'll, I'll, I'll never understand. He um, did Go, which is starting to pick up steam as a cult film. Oh, oh Go. I, I, I know Go, yeah. That, that, yeah, that's he did Jumper, one. which no one saw. And, and Jumper. Jumper. Yeah. The one with Hayden Christensen about the, the yeah. teleporters. I, I love and, the idea because I'm, who doesn't want a teleporter? Oh, right? yeah. but, that was a great concept, but I heard the excuse was terrible. And then the Valerie Plain movie he made last year was supposed to be really good. Fair game. Fair game. Um, I, you know, that's another one I've never heard of. But you're right, Tom. It, but he's Naomi a good. Watts, he has a Sean good Davis. eye for action. He's an action guy, which you know, it, it it's not going to be, it's not going to be Duncan Jones heady. It's not going to be Moon. It's not going. It doesn't. I, I'm reading about the description on um, Wikipedia, and it seems like the idea is that um, every time he have we discussed the plot of this of this movie? No, not really. Yet. Okay, a um, the plot is there's a war between um, like a unified Earth. It's in the future, and these aliens who are invading, and a uh, foot soldier on the human side gets killed, and then ba- basically gets stuck in a Groundhog Day loop where every day he wakes up and goes back to battle the same day, and then dies. And apparently, the idea is that. Every day, he picks up more and more combat techniques and kind of becomes, starts out as like a total greenhorn and comes through it as like this hardcore alien slaughtering badass because he basically is given unlimited time to practice killing these things. Interesting. So, so it, it sounds like 
to me. Much more action. It's much more action focused. It's it's almost like a um, an, it's almost like you know a cross between aliens and source code. You know. Yeah, I that sounds. And I'm okay with this because we already have two great movies that both tackle the philosophical and like very heady and conceptual nature of having to repeat a day over and over again. It, but being those being source code, we disagree. And Groundhog Day, I think we can agree on. Yeah. So I'm okay with a different approach, a less heady approach. Because, I mean, if I want to ponder the nature of a, a closed time loop, I can just go watch Groundhog Day again. But this, I like it when people use this for a more, a f- more fun. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, people are going to laugh at us for saying Groundhog Day is philosophical, but go back Groundhog and look at it. Groundhog Day is philosophical as f- It. Can I cuss? Um... <laughs> we didn't I probably should have gone over that beforehand. No, no, but it's fine, I'll figure that out. Um, okay. Well, Groundhog Day... Have you seen it? Of course I've seen it. Okay, but the Groundhog Day is such a deep philosophical movie. It is. It, it's, it's in disguise, but it's there. Um, and that, that's sort of the best thing is when these movies, you know, and, and I think this one actually could be one. Um, when these movies, you know, Groundhog Day is a, it, it's a philosophical movie disguised as a romantic comedy. Um, and when these movies that look like one thing, you dig deeper and there, there's more to it. Um, another one we're going to talk about later, um, I, I'm not going to spoil what movie it is, but we, we're going to definitely discuss another one that's very similar in that way a little later on. Absolutely. Um, Actually, I think we might be discussing two. Oh, okay. We, um, who knows? Um, I think you're talking about your movie right now, right? Yeah. Because mine's the same way. Um, we're we're going to recommend movies and talk about two movies that we each brought in at the end of this show. Um, speaking of, a news story that I did not bounce off, off you uh, before we did this, but I think is very um, appropriate after this discussion. Can I... Go ahead. Um, they're turning source code into a TV show. Basically, That's a weird that, one. Basically, the, the idea being that the events of the movie, um, or not the events of the specific life. movie, no spoilers here, basically, um, not, not the specific events of the movie, because minor spoilers, the specific events of the movie lead to the source code basically being useless. Through some like alternate reality garbage, which is wonderful. Um, basically, the source code is used by the government to send these soldiers back in time to solve problems. Yeah, and so kind of abandoning that, I think that like repeating oh Groundhog Day loop and kind of more going for a quantum leap type deal. Interesting. So, so, so like um, like the the A team with time travel. Exactly. And that that could be interesting. Where uh, I mean, did you did you ever watch the show Quantum Leap? Yeah, one or two episodes. It, it did I, I, not capture me. It sounds to me like a more action oriented Quantum Leap, where they get dropped into people's bodies in the past with the attempt of stopping terrorist attacks. That and, that that does sound intriguing. Um, we'll, we'll have to see that that actually. And this is this is like was announced, like, a week or two ago as something that's being developed. So keep an eye out for that within the next couple of years. TV watching nation out there. God bless you. <laughs> um, so so that, that actually, that would be something I'd watch. I, I wasn't a big fan of the movie just because I felt like it got really wishy-washy at the end. I can um, see that. But if it's a TV series and if it stays sort of the... Um, the the sort of the the big full thriller feel that it had for a long time in the movie it could it could be something it could really be something um so then let let's let's just keep on rolling here um all you need is kill it, it's going to be interesting um i if if they wind up thinking about things hard enough but even if they don't i mean what we're talking about here is mainstreamizing postmodernism even more and that's an important thing that's really in order to make this successful this this effort successful we're rooting for it but um even on a more fundamental level i think that um you know it th- this this succeeding is going to further 
the um you know the this the philosophical thoughts and things like that that are behind this movement um watching this move more and more into television is and film is a very interesting thing and it seems like it's not stopping anytime soon um you know it's going to be interesting so so moving on to another example that's moving into television um one of my personal favorite directors and um producers jj abrams um television show Fringe on um, Fox. Well, um, the, the, the show started out, and it didn't exactly have a stellar first episode of the season. Um, essentially, we, we, we find ourselves back um, at the end of the last season. Um, spoiler, alert, spoiler alert here. Um, Peter disappeared, and, and essentially was wiped out of existence. Um, essentially, what we now have is we, we have Olivia alone, um, and... She um she's joined by this other man um and it's told from his perspective and she looks like a real jerk. Nothing nothing she does seems nice or likable at all. Um. So the question is is this is this a point of view thing is is this them trying out new stuff? It was a monster of the week episode, which is not something I'm fond of. I um you know I I felt like. It started out, and it, it had promise at the beginning because it looked like they had an overarching plot that was going to go well. And then that overarching plot just sort of died over time. And then finally it came back, last season especially, and that was very exciting. Um, so watching this go back to this sort of almost X-Files-style um, format is a little bit concerning. Um, I, I'm hoping they're going to go back to the way things were. But I, I don't have my fingers crossed um or my, i don't have my hopes up it'll be interesting to see what's going to happen but um it's a concern for me um i don't know if it's a concern for anybody else if it if it is right in if not well also write in because I, i'd love to hear if i'm the only one that thinks this is going to be an issue all right believe it or not that was not the uh, the, the meat of the podcast as we'll call it um, the next segment we have here is what I'm going to call the feature segment, and um, this is where I'm going to highlight something specific, a, a trait or an idea that seems to be permeating mainstream media and culture in some way that has to do with postmodernism. Um, the, the first one we're going to talk about is one that I'm going to keep referring to constantly, and um, I, I had to be very careful not to say the word today because, you know, that I would totally negate the purpose, but... Um, I mean, it, it, it is so hard not to say this word when, when you're talking about film at all, let alone film, you know, in this day and age. Um, and that word is simulacrum, or its plural form, which is actually its more common form, simulacra. Um, I'm in the habit of just calling it a simulacrum. People call it a simulacra. Um, that sounds open-ended and funny to me. Um, call it whatever you want. I mean, I'll understand you either way if you email us or whatever and say, I've got a question about simulacra, I've got a question about a simulacrum, or whatever. Anyway, so so the way I'm going to introduce this is I'm going to in introduce this in parallel with, with my film pick, which we're going to each do one of these, um, whether it's Cole or it's another guest, um, but um, we're going to each do one of these film picks every week. Um, I'm going to introduce this in parallel with my film pick, which is... The, the cliché pick to go with Simulacra, which is The Matrix. It's cliché because it's the best example. It's definitely the easiest. I, I actually... What, whatever, we can debate this later. The uh, it's, a great, is, it's a great starting point. Yeah, it is. Um, the, my, um, my English teacher last year, a shout-out to her if she's listening, um, which if she isn't, um, a plague upon her house. But um, essentially... Um, she she showed this in class and she she highlighted there's a moment in here where the paper that in, that originated the idea of a simulacrum which was um John Brodriard's paper called um on simulacra and simulation actually appears in the film itself they sneak it in in the frame because this is what inspired the idea now um Baudrillard himself said they sort of vastly misinterpreted what he had to say and made an action movie out of these ideas but as we talked about earlier Okay, so it's, it's an action movie. It's it's an oversimplification of these ideas. Oh, well. Oh, well. At least these ideas are out there, and they're being considered by other people. 
Um, so, so what a simulacrum is, is essentially it's the idea that a human construct or a machinated construct or something that's constructed, not something that is the, the fundamental real or something, you know, if, if you believe in God, something constructed by God. If you don't believe in God, something that is, you know, the real reality, something besides that becomes the real reality. Um, in the case of the Matrix, um, spoiler alert, um, whatever comes before mild, you know. We, we don't need spoiler to alert, spoil the Matrix. Spoiler alert, vanilla ice cream. Um, they, um... <laughs> the, the, we don't the, need to the, spoiler alert the Matrix. Everyone knows. Okay, the, the basic concept of the Matrix is that everybody is living inside a computer Matrix, which is simulating the year um, it was made, 1999 or something along those lines, it might be 95, um, and they're all living their lives happily in this world that they think is real, and it's business as usual, but really it's like 200 years in the future or something, and, and, and in a Terminator-style fashion, the robots have taken over and are somehow harvesting the energy from people's bodies and the body heat, along with, um, what is it, along with cold fusion. <laughs> So, so yeah, you, you need humans around to harvest their body heat for energy when you've got cold fusion. That never made sense to me, but that's not the point. Um, it's science fiction. Just roll with it. <laughs> oh, well, this is this this was my problem with source code too. Anyway, the, the Matrix it, it gives us this idea that the the robots are just doing this to pacify us, and that while we think we're living out our lives in the real world of 1999. It actually is all just a facade, and there, there's a horrible rebellion and warlike thing going on with, with robots, um, and it's, it's a, a creepy robots too. But um, from there, the, the concept breaks down, but basically the idea of um, our reality being a construct, our, our reality our being different from what real reality is, and real reality doesn't matter. Um, one of the characters in this film, um, played by the guy who plays Teddy in Memento, I can't remember his name, Joe Pantoliano, on the character Cypher, he, um, okay, this is spoiler alert, um. Stop worrying about spoiling okay, th it. It's this is... 12 years old and yeah, everyone th saw it. <laughs> this is spoiler alert Bell Pepper now, um, and that is, um, he's a double agent for the robots, and, um, he goes through and, um. He, he, he wants to be back in the Matrix, even though he knows that the Matrix isn't real, because he realized the truth, which is that it doesn't matter that it's not real, because we don't know. If we don't know it, if we're blissfully unaware, it doesn't matter. And that, that's the fundamental nature, is reality's perspective, if all your perspective is shared of just one thing, um, then it doesn't matter. Now, um, Cole mentioned just in pre-show prep something I'd never actually heard of and I feel stupid for this but um it's not it's a it's a concept that apparently Plato brought up which is a direct precursor to this and it's something called Plato's cave it's it's the allegory of the cave okay uh, t tell me about this okay basically the idea of the allegory of the cave is it's an allegory and um <laughs> it actually ties in no a idea. lot oh hush it ties in a lot with that one specific scene from the matrix that you were just mentioning um, the idea of the allegory of the cave is that we've got this cave, and there are a bunch of men who are chained to a wall, and they've been chained there their whole lives. Um, the wall they are chained to, up above them, on that wall, at the top, it's a bridge through the cave that merchants will travel across, so like horses and caravans go past. And there's a little, there's a, a, an eternally burning flame behind them so that their shadows are constantly getting projected onto the wall in front of these prisoners. So their entire reality is these flickering images that they see. And then one day one of the prisoners manages to escape and he runs out into the real world and he sees what these shadows really are. And then when he, I might be messing up the ending, but when he goes back to tell um, his, the other prisoners about what awaits them outside the cave, he's just a flickering um, image on the wall to them. So it is that idea that, like, 
once you leave the simulacrum, you kind of, you can't really go back. That there's a level of understanding that can't be passed on to other people until they fully, until they've had that same, like, being pulled out of the matrix that you have. Kind of like how Neo can't just go up and walk up to any random person and be like, hey, this is all a simulation. Yeah, because they'll say, oh, that's nice. You know, it's, you, you, you know, you, you don't understand what, what, what you're talking about. And once you do understand, there's no going back. This guy can't chain himself back down and start looking at the wall again and not picture the people as they really are. And of course, Cypher is given the option of going back. And man, it's been a long time since I've seen the Matrix. Does, does he just, does he just disappear back into the Matrix after that scene or does he, um, he, no, he dies, and that's um, okay. That that that's that spoiler alert. Um, oh, pineapple! It's... I don't know. <laughs> anyway, and yeah, I but think... he he dies before he, he actually gets his reward. But his reward is going back and forgetting all about everything he's learned. Mm, he does get part of his reward though. He gets the stake. Oh, oh, that's right. Yes, but I but I do think that's that's part of the point they make with that whole. Um, I mean, I think the the two main points is are that that scene serves to exist are that the 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 whole like directly addressing the allegory of the cave, mm-hmm. because while the allegory of the cave and the Lukowskis have gone on record about this was a very big influence to the Matrix. Um, the only time they really address the ending and the idea of someone trying to spread that message or return to the life they had before. Um, is that was was with the cipher bit, and I think it's the best scene in the movie. It it is definitely one of the only scenes in the movie that actually gets to this point of people are in the movie theater to watch people dodge bullets, right? Yeah, they're they're in the movie theater to watch the kung fu scene and the dodging bullets, and and then we get lots this... and lots of guns and stuff. But you know, we get this. You get this beautiful, beautiful little discussion of of, um, of what's better is like knowledge inherently better than ignorance when that knowledge is going to bring pain like ignorance is bliss and and i think the movie doesn't really give us even though he does die i don't think the movie gives us a straight answer to that question that that's that's right so so um Let's um let's then turn our attention to the next item on our agenda, um, yes, which is um, your your film recommendation. So my um, film give recommendation. Give us the elevator pitch for this because we are running low on time. Yes, um, I'm just gonna say this. My film recommendation is based off of what your initial film recommendation was going to be. Um, uh, you changed it. Um, so that one's coming back. Um, in yeah, the next that one's coming back. I didn't feel like I didn't feel like changing this because I had prepped, but if. I had known about the Matrix more in advance, then my recommendation for this week would have been Dark City, um, which is a movie I'll talk about at some point in the future that was a huge inspiration to the Matrix, and I just I haven't seen it recently enough to feel that I can talk about it, but I just wanted to give it a shout-out. Um, my movie is a 2006 film called um, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, and it is about a documentary crew that follows around a serial killer. And when I say serial killer, I don't mean a normal serial killer. I mean a slasher movie serial killer. So they follow this guy around as he um, travels around towns, finds a town that has like some disturbing events that happened in the past that he can be coming back to avenge. He tracks down a virgin. He starts leaving hints. He starts isolating um, all these kids into this one location, basically to prepare for your standard slasher movie set piece. Because I don't know, Nathan, do you watch a lot of slasher movies? I've seen a few. I, um, I've seen more than my fair share. I'll say that. A lot of slasher movies, especially the um, Halloween style, as opposed to say the Friday the Thirteenth style, but the Halloween or Nightmare on Elm Street style, and in the universe of this movie, Michael Myers. Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger, Chucky are all real serial killers that this guy is emulating. Um, 
So, so but is this a comedy or is this? It is a comedy. It's it, it's it is it is a comedy. So so it's sort um, of mocking the trappings of the genre. Mocking, but lovingly because it I is don't, a genre piece. It is a genre piece, and I don't really want to delve too heavily into spoilers because it's a more recent film than The Matrix, and it's one not a lot of people got to see. And um, I feel a there's a really heavy discussion we can have about the post the way this movie approaches postmodernism um that can only be really accomplished if we're allowing spoilers but suffice to say this is a movie about a documentary crew following around a serial killer it is not a mockumentary the bulk of the movie is shot in that like Blair Witch or faux documentary style that's very popular in horror movies but the movie is not that, and the last act of the movie plays it straight. And um, it's it's kind of simultaneously commenting on slasher movie conventions and um, trends. There's there's this great running gag where um, he's he's setting up the the killer Leslie Vernon is like tainting out little pieces of like foreshadowing to the virgin the the final girl that is eventually going to defeat him at the in the at the slot slaughter fest and as he's eking them out this psychiatrist that he knew from his past um jumps out and tries to save the day and it just becomes and he is ecstatic because he has his captain ahab he has the force of pure good that's going to be um following him around you know what i'm saying uh-huh this there's there's a trend in web comics that of of characters who live out their day to day lives in accordance to genre conventions knowingly and try to orchestrate things um, intentionally to go through the way of genre conventions and movies don't really approach that so I think the I that one of the reasons I really like this movie is you've got this character who is setting out knowing he's going to die. Because him dying is the only way the the girl that he's tormenting can have a proper dramatic climax to her story. <laughs> but like, I mean, and I, I mean that that sounds like a joke, but the movie spends a huge amount of time talking about like where they wander the set piece and talk about how everything, everything in the setting where the slaughter fest is going to go is psychosexually suggestive to get her to open up and abandon her like it's and I, and there there's a whole bunch of complexity in this movie that I did not get into because I don't want to spoil a great twist that happens about the two-thirds mark but full recommendation behind the mask the rise of Leslie Vernon it's hilarious it's gory it's not really that scary um Kane Hodder who played Jason is in it little um the psychiatrist i mentioned before is played by robert england who played freddy krueger and is always a kind of a good sign of good quality so yeah that's my recommendation for the week week month what's our plan here week week that's my recommendation for the week all right well um i think that basically um that, that brings us to the end so um so cole why don't you tell people where they can find you uh, they can find me at twitter.com slash masked, M-A-S-K-E-D, Jedi, as in Star Wars. Okay, and um, I'm Nathan Lawrence. You can find me at nathanlawrence.org or um, Twitter at Nathan B. Lawrence. I'm on Google Plus, Nathan Lawrence, and um, yeah, well, you know my name now, so you can probably find me anywhere. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um... I won't Facebook friend you if I don't know you. Just a warning. <laughs> Um, and, um, because there'll be people we don't know totally listening to this. Hey, you never know. Um, anyway, so, um, yeah, that, that's, that's about it for us. Um, see you next time. And, um, thanks. Toodles. I think we'll call that a wrap. This is our alpha, and, um, if, if you enjoyed this, come and see us next week. We're gonna try our alpha, too. See us, yes. All right. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Pomocast. To comment on the issues we discussed today, email us at pomocast at nathanlawrence.org.